to In the Word with Pastor Don Haskins, where we open up the Bible to see what God's Word says and how it might apply to our lives. Our prayer is that you allow Jesus to change you from the inside out. And now, today's lesson. We're in Galatians chapter 1 today. If you remember last week, we began a fairly lengthy introduction of what this book and why this letter was written to the churches of Galatia. You remember as we talked last week that Galatia is not a town, but Galatia is an area. And it is a region that there were at least four churches that Paul was addressing And these are churches that started out well. They started out Paul going and ministering in these places and Paul going to a city on a missionary journey. And as he went to to these various cities, he would go there and he would begin with wherever a synagogue would be. He would go and talk in there. But he would also have opportunity to go in on the streets and in houses and door to door. He would say to the Ephesians, listen, I wash my hands, you know, of all of the Ephesians for I went door to door preaching and and I have not shunned to declare to you the full gospel. And so Paul was a missionary. We're all missionaries. We used to have a a, a sign and, and I don't know what happened to it, but many churches have these signs where above the door as you walk outside of the sanctuary out to the outside Uh, the sign will say, you are now entering your mission field. Because the world outside is our mission field. Jesus is the one who told each and every one of us, he called each and every one of us to go out into all the world and preach the good news, the gospel. And baptize people in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. And he said, and don't worry about it and don't freak out about going out and doing that, because I am with you. Even to the end of this age, I will be with you. And so Jesus is there when we walk outside of the four walls of this building, out through the door, and we go out into our mission field. We're to be preaching Christ. We're to be living Christ. We're to be sharing Christ with those who will listen. And sometimes I will say, and I'm guilty of the same thing, Sometimes we put a lot more effort into it than at other times. And I would just encourage you right now to know that this is a season right now, this is a time of a season where people are a little bit more open to hear about the gospel. They want to hear about the baby in the manger. They want to understand why that baby was in the manger. They might not articulate it that way, But if you bring them to a place where they are, uh, they're presented and they're, they're, they're confronted with that issue, not in an aggressive way, but they are uh, presented with the issue, yeah, the babe in the manger, what is that all about? There's a lot of people that have never really put a lot of thought into the reason why God became a person in the form of Jesus. And, and, and they've, they've never really considered that. Oh, they, they understand baby Jesus. But to take it to the next step, why? Why would God ever do such a thing? And, th- and that's our job. That's our calling. That's, that's what God has granted to you and I to do as we walk out of the four walls of this building. To go into our mission field. And go out there and talk to people about exactly that. And, and so it's in that that when we say Paul was a missionary, well, he was, but so are we. And so it's kind of a misnomer because sometimes we think, oh, the missionaries are the ones that go to Africa, you know. And they're the ones that we support. We support people. We send a, you know, a, a check and, and, and we support missionaries. That's not necessarily what Paul was. Paul was a, uh, he was a very outspoken Christian that would go out into the world and preach the good news. He did what Jesus said. And and so when he'd go into these cities, such as 
all of the various cities that in at least those four cities in the area of Galatia, he started a church because people were responding. They were responding to the gospel. And one of the things that we have got to get off our, our head and our understanding is that we are not responsible for changing a life. Now, I want you to hear what I just said there, and I want you to pay attention to what I said. You and I are not responsible for changing a heart. That's not our job. You can't do it. I can't do it. Our job is to go out and present Christ, to share the gospel, and allow the work of the Holy Spirit to do the change in a heart. Because you know what? If you and I do any changing of anyone's heart, If I can make someone change, someone else can make them change back or make them change into something else. But if the Holy Spirit does the work in a heart, the Holy Spirit is the one who calls. The Holy Spirit is the one that seals. He can seal the deal. It's the Holy Spirit's job to reach the heart. It's our job to present the gospel and allow the Holy Spirit to do his work. And so it takes so much weight off of our shoulders that we don't have to do the job. We don't have to make someone change. We just have to, we just have to tell them the, the information. We gotta show them the life that Christ has given to us and the freedom that we have in Christ and the, the, the forgiveness that we experience because of Jesus Christ and His crucifixion and His resurrection, His blood. We, we get to show people that. And when that happens, it gives the opportunity for the Holy Spirit to begin to speak to that person that you just shared that with. Well, here's what Paul's done. He's gone through these cities in Galatia. People have responded. Hey, I want this Jesus. I, I understand what you're saying. How can I become a Christian? And so Paul, he presents the gospel. Many people get saved. And, and then as the people are getting saved... Well, now he wants to, Pastor Chuck used to say, I love this statement that he, he used to say, evangelism without discipleship is criminal. Evangelism without discipleship is criminal. Many years ago when Billy Graham was doing his, his uh, big crusades, uh, many years before he, before he learned this major lesson, he found out that as he'd go into these cities and hundreds of thousands of people would come and, and thousands of people would get, get saved. They'd come and they'd go forward. I'd say, I, I use that, that term very loosely, get saved. Many people would come forward at, a, at one of his crusades. Many would profess their faith. They went back and, and they would take people's names as they do, you know, names and addresses and things so that they can contact the people. Well, they found many years ago, this is like 25 years ago, they found that, that uh, only 8% of the people who had come forward at a crusade were actually still walking with the Lord one year after the date that they came to know the Lord. And it's what prompted Billy Graham to say, well, this can't happen. And it's one of the reasons why he began to be began to integrate the various churches in the communities, in the cities that he's going into, to say, hey, these guys are going to get saved. They need a place to go, and you need to do your job in discipling them. You need to do a job in discipling them. And so they'd try to farm them off into various churches and so on and so forth. And they'd have training sessions and so on and so forth. So the, the, the idea is, is to evangelize without discipleship. There was... You know, 92% of the people aren't walking with the Lord after a year. That's criminal. He saw that. And, and so the thing is, is that Paul, when he'd evangelize, people would get saved, and then he wanted to set up churches in those areas, in a home, typically is what it would be, and, and they, would, they would begin to gather in that place. And so they would grow. And then more people would get saved and more people would get saved and the church would just kind of grow in these little cities all around the place. And so as they got saved, as they began to grow, what ended up happening is you remember last week, there were some Judaizers that began to come in. And that's the whole reason for the whole book of Galatia is that some Judaizers began to come in. And what is a Judaizer? A Judaizer is somebody that is steeped in Judaism 
but recognizes that there is a Christ. And recognizes that, that Jesus came. And he died and he rose again. And, and, and there is, there's an understanding that, you know what? God did something else in addition to Judaism. And so the Judaizers, they, they had a hard time reconciling the fact that Jesus came and that was the new covenant. And they were having a hard time marrying the old with the new covenant. When in all actuality, there was no marrying whatsoever intended by God. The old covenant was there to teach us that we could not live good enough to inherit eternal life. It was there to prove to us that we needed a savior, that we needed somebody to rescue us. The law and, and the rules in order to, to be upright and upstanding before God. Well, you see, no man who ever lived by the law would ever be justified by the law. There's only one, actually, I, I say there was never one man that ever did that. There was one person that lived perfectly according to the law. You know who his name is, right? His name's Jesus. He's the only one. Jesus was the only one. And it's to show us the way. He was tempted, as we were, in all points, and yet without sin, the Bible tells in the book of Hebrews, doesn't it? And so, Paul, he comes in and he preaches a, a gospel of grace, we're going to touch on that in here in a second. But the Judaizers, they would come in and they'd go, man, I understand who this Jesus, you know, this Jesus is, but here's the thing that we're going to do. We're going to go into these towns and we're going to, we're going to, he was a Jew and so therefore we shouldn't throw out Judaism. So let's, let's add Jesus to Judaism and and let's that's let's go into these towns, let's go into these churches, and let's preach that. And when they go, well, that's not what Paul said. Paul didn't say that we needed to follow the law, that the law was not what was required anymore. It was grace through Christ. The law couldn't save us. Jesus saved us. The law was a tutor to bring us to Christ, but now we're no longer under the law. That's what Paul said. And, and, and so here's the thing. You guys are coming in and you're saying, what does Paul know? What does Paul know? He's an old disgruntled Pharisee. He's an old disgruntled teacher of the law, if you will, who got saved. Okay. But he's trying to mislead you and he's taking you down a road that are you are you kidding me? And you can I mean let's be honest and let's be fair about this. We have a Bible here where we understand. We we see the end from the beginning. We understand from Genesis to Revelation. We understand it. We see it. We may not understand everything, but what we do know is we see a the general understanding of what the word is bound upon and it's Jesus Christ and him crucified. So we see that. But at this time, they don't have these letters that we have. They don't have what we have. What they had was the Old Testament. And so now, when all of a sudden Jesus comes in and he's preached, and then a Judaizer comes in and says, I, I know that you got saved. That's a good thing. Great. But here's the thing. You need to also keep the law and the hundreds that were added to it. Plus, keep Jesus. So basically, the Old Testament, you need, still need to do it. You still need to completely and totally live by the Old Testament. But now, God has just added Jesus on top of that also. And, and so, doesn't it make sense that that's how it would be? And so, this Paul that's trying to tell you that it's all about grace. No, it's law and Jesus equals salvation. And, and so, these Judaizers are coming and that's what a Judaizer is. It's the law plus Jesus. You have to keep the law. You have to be righteous before the law. But here's the thing, no man could ever be righteous in the law. And so, here's the thing, they would come into these cities 
and they would begin to, to spread this heresy and they would also tear Paul down. It's the reason why Paul doesn't give a commendation at all. Out of all the epistles that he does, that he writes, he doesn't give a commendation. What he does is he basically marvels at them and, and, and rebukes them a bit and says, come on, guys, open your eyes to what's going on. It's the only letter that he doesn't give a commendation in. I, I guess there's a kind of a backhanded, you ran well. But who hindered you from obeying the truth? So he does give a a kind of a backhanded compliment to them. But this is the reason Paul writes this, is because these Judaizers made their way through after Paul had started these churches. And and so Paul has got to now establish in chapter 1, what he's going to do is he's going to establish the issue of what we've talked about over the past, over today, thus far, and all of last week, that these guys have come in and they're, they're perverting the grace of God. They're perverting the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. They're messing it up. And they're causing people to abandon the faith that can only be had through Jesus. And that's what, that's what he's doing. And, he's, and, and they're tearing me down and attacking my credentials and my authority in the process, saying, don't listen to Paul. Don't listen to him. And, and so, as we pick up in chapter 1 of Galatians, let's read together. Paul, an apostle, not from men, nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brethren who were with me. I'm writing to the churches of Galatia, Grace to you and peace from God, the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us from this present evil age, according to the will of God our Father. To whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. He doesn't mince words. He jumps right into the issue. He says, I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him, Jesus Christ, who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which is not another gospel, but there are some who trouble you, those are the Judaizers, and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we, or even, let's just say, an angel from heaven preaches any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you than what you have received, let him be accursed. The word accursed is anathema. That means damned to the lowest hell. Let them be damned to the lowest hell. Paul, does he have a a passion about this? Do you have an, an opinion on what's going on? I think so. I think so. He says, "For do I now persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? For if I still please men, I would not be a servant of Christ. But I make known to you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. For I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it, but it came through the revelation of Jesus Christ. For you've heard of my former conduct. Now he starts talking about his testimony a bit. He's already started there in, in uh, uh, verse 10. He started talking about his own testimony. He says here, For you uh, have heard of my former conduct in Judaism, verse 13, how I persecuted the church of God beyond measure. And I even tried to destroy it. And I advanced in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries in my own nation, being even more exceedingly zealous for the traditions of my fathers. But, love that word but, but when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through his grace to reveal his son in me, that I might preach him among the Gentiles, which is a crack up, Because Paul hated the Gentiles. And yet God separated him from his mother's womb to preach to the Gentiles. It's a lifelong dream of God. or It's a lifelong plan that God had for Paul's life. 
when he was separated from his mother's womb, knowing full well he was going to be incredibly steeped in Judaism. But he had a plan for Paul. He says, he separated me when it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through his grace to reveal a son to me, in me, that I might preach him among the Gentiles. You know what I did? I did not immediately confer with flesh and blood. Nope. Nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. But here's what I did. I went to Arabia. That's not Saudi Arabia. That's just kind of desert area around Damascus. This is a different Arabia. Back in that day, it's just the, the desert around Damascus in modern day Syria. And so it's not Saudi Arabia. He says, uh, uh, but I went to Arabia and then I returned again into the city of Damascus. Then after three years, then I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter. And I remained with Peter for 15 days. But I didn't see any of the other apostles, well, except for James, the Lord's brother. Now, concerning the things which I write to you, indeed, before God, I'm not lying. Afterward, I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was unknown by face to the churches of Judea, which were in Christ. But they were hearing only, he who formerly persecuted us now preaches the faith which he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God in me. Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas and also took Titus with me. And I went up by revelation and communicated to them that gospel which I preach among the Gentiles, but privately to those who were of reputation, lest by any means I might run or had run in vain. Yet not even Titus who was with me, being a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. That's coming back under the Jewish law. But this occurred because the false brethren secretly brought in who came in by stealth to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, that they might bring us into bondage. To whom we did not yield any submission, even for an hour, that the truth of the gospel, you remember what gospel means, right? Good news. Is bondage good news? No. Bondage is not good news. They would understand bondage. They would understand freedom. They would understand good news. That the truth of the gospel might continue with you. Verse 6, But from those who seem to be something, whatever they were, it makes no difference to me. You see how Paul is? Peter, James, John, all these guys, ah, they're just guys. They're just guys. They're just guys. They don't mean anything to me. Whatever they were, it makes no difference to me. God shows no personal favoritism to no man. And please understand that. For those who seemed to be something, they added nothing to me. But on the contrary, when they saw that the gospel, the good news for the uncircumcised, the Gentiles had been committed to me as the gospel for the circumcised was to Peter, for he who worked effectively in Peter for the apostleship to the circumcised, he also worked effectively in me towards the Gentiles. And when James and Cephas, who's Peter, and John, who seemed to be pillars, who seemed to be pillars, they perceived the grace that had been given to me. They gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship. That's where that term comes from, the right hand of fellowship, that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. They desired only that we would remember the poor, the very thing which I also was eager to do. I know I'm reading a lot, but I want you to hear. Verse 11. I'm going to tell you a story, Peter, or Paul says. But when Peter had come to Antioch, where's Antioch? Antioch was the church that Paul and Barnabas were from. That was their home church. Peter came from Jerusalem up to Antioch to visit them and to see the church, just to encourage the church. But Peter got up to Paul and Barnabas' church and he began to act like a Judaizer. That's what he did. When Peter had come to Antioch, I withstood Peter. The Catholics would say this is the first pope. So Paul confronts the first pope and beats him down in front of everyone. Look what he says. Because Peter was to be blamed. Which, which destroys the mindset of the pope. Because the Pope can never do anything wrong, according to 
the Catholic tradition, according to Catholic teaching. The Pope's words are as God's word. But here, a seeming unknown man in Paul, a former persecutor of the the church, comes in and confronts the Pope. Now mind you, I don't believe that Peter was a Pope. I don't believe that that there was a Pope. If, if ever there was a pope, it probably would have been James. For James is told in Scripture he was the head of the church of Jerusalem. Not Peter. Peter was very impetuous. Peter was, was a man that, that uh, was, was very quick with a, a, a statement coming out of his mouth that oftentimes he had to open his mouth and put his other foot back in it, right? We've learned that about Pete. Man, I identify with Pete so much. Here's the thing. Paul says, when I, when Peter came to Antioch, to my church, to the church that God had granted to, for Barnabas and I to minister in, when Peter came up to Gespeak, <laughs> I withstood Peter to his face because Peter was to be blamed. For certain men, for before, certain men came from James. James, remember, he was the head of the church in Jerusalem. That was the brother of Jesus. The brother of Jesus. For before certain men from James uh, came from James, Peter would eat with the Gentiles before those guys came up from James. From the church in Jerusalem. So the apostles didn't even get it right. Not at first. Do you see how quick the apostles, as we've read, were very quick to say, Hey, Pete, or, or I'm sorry, Hey, Paul, you go to the Gentiles. We'll go to the circumcised. It's not an easy thing to go to the Gentiles. It's not an easy thing to go to the uncircumcised. So they were all too willing to allow somebody else to go put their neck on the line to go and do it. It would take a while before Peter would come to a place where God had to send a vision in front of Peter. In Acts chapter 10, we know that story, right? Where God sent a sheet down and Peter, he had a vision of a sheet that came down with all these unclean animals on it. And Peter, he's, he's, uh, he's, he's, whether he's asleep or whether he's got this vision going on in the daytime, but he's up on, the, up, up on a, 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 a housetop, the rooftop. They had, what oftentimes that would be kind of like the lanai for them, you know. And they would be up on the rooftop. Peter was up on the rooftop and he had this vision of this sheet coming down and they had all these unclean animals. And then all of a sudden the Lord, Jesus Christ, speaks to Peter. Do you think he'd know his voice? I think so. He says, rise up, Peter, kill and eat. Peter says, oh, not so, Lord, which is just an absolute contradiction. Don't ever find yourself in that place where you say, no, Lord, (laughs) no. No, I'm not doing that because you're tricking me. You're asking me to do something that's against the law. You're asking me to do something that's against God. Jesus will never ask you to do something that's against God. Why? Because he is God. Rise up, Peter, kill and eat. Oh, not so, Lord, for nothing unclean has ever entered these lips. I find that hard to believe, but he said it. I know a lot of unclean things have come out of his mouth. But he says, nothing unclean has entered these lips. And Jesus, what did he say to him? He says, what I have called clean, you shall not call unclean or common. Rise up, kill and eat. And, 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 and it, it dawned on Peter at that time, all the way up into Acts chapter 10 it took, for Peter to realize the gospel has come to what I formerly considered unclean, the Gentiles. For it was right following on the tail of this vision that there was a knock on Peter's door and it was a Gentile by the name of Cornelius. And Paul had to deal with Cornelius. What do you need? Cornelius? The Lord said that there's a guy here that can introduce me to Jesus. Is that you? Well, when I woke up this morning, this is not what I thought I would be doing, is preaching Jesus to a Gentile. All the way in Acts chapter 10. So they're none too slow to appoint Peter or appoint Paul, granting him the, 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 the coronation to go to the Gentiles, because none of them wanted to. 
It was too hard to do that. That's what they grew up against it, this mindset. But that's what the mystery of the gospel is. The mystery of the gospel was not just to reach the Jew, but it was to reach all mankind. That's the mystery. The mystery is what once was a very centralized God speaking to a, a, a nation, the Jewish nation. God is now saying, I am now extending that offer to the whole world. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, not just Israel. That whoever, not just the Jew, would believe in him, would not perish but have everlasting life. For God is not willing that any should repent or should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That's Peter actually said that later on in life. He got it. He finally got it. This is one of the reasons why Peter got it, is because he's sitting there and he's playing the hypocrite. He understands that, hey, you know what? Paul and Barnabas, who were Jews, are eating with the Gentiles. And man, there's a grace here. There's, I, I can't believe that I'm enjoying myself up here with the brothers. We're worshiping the Lord. We're learning about Jesus. And we're learning about things. And, and, and I'm just enjoying my time. And all of a sudden, some men that he knew came up from Jerusalem that were a part of the church of Jerusalem, who was being pastored by Brother James, the brother of Jesus. They came up. And as they come up, Peter goes, oh, I'm not going to disappoint those guys. We don't really understand all of this, what Paul and Barnabas are doing up here. So it says that Peter, he withstood, he separated himself from the Jews. It says, when Peter had come, verse 11, Peter had come to Antioch. I, that's the reason I just went through that whole thing, just so that you understand what, what he's saying. Peter came to Antioch. When he came, I withstood Peter to his face because he was to be blamed. For before certain men came from James, from Jerusalem, Peter would eat with the Gentiles. But when all of a sudden these guys from James came from Jerusalem, from the church of Jerusalem that were part of the leadership of the church down there, Peter, he withdrew and he separated himself, fearing those who were of the circumcision. Who were the circumcision? It's the Jews. And the rest of the Jews also took Paul or took Peter's lead and they did the same thing. There were those that were still part of the church up there in Antioch is what is being inferred here. There were some Jews that were a part of the church here that, that used to and were accustomed to fellowshipping with the Gentiles. And all of a sudden, Peter comes up. They're enjoying it because, wow, this is Pete. He's doing this. But then Pete gets nervous when some leadership from the church down in Jerusalem comes up. And he separates himself from the Gentiles going, I don't want them to see that I'm hanging out with the Gentiles. I mean, I'll wait till they go before I go back and hang out with them again. That's, that's so elementary schoolish, isn't it? Where, where, where you know, you, you befriend somebody that everybody else doesn't like in school. You feel sorry for that person. You kind of befriend that person. And you're kind of hanging out with that person. Then all of a sudden the cool people come around that you really want to impress and you kind of separate yourself from that person. Because you don't want to be lumped in together with that weird person. When in all actuality, that person's not weird at all. It's just what everybody deems he is or she is. And you've been caught up in the hypocrisy of everything. This person, if anybody would just know and, and learn, this person's a great person. And so here's the thing. This is what Peter and all the other Jews that were a part of that church up in Antioch, this is what they did. They withdrew from the circumcision. And the rest of the Jews also played the hypocrite with Peter so that even Barnabas, Barnabas, this is the son of encouragement. This is Pastor Barney. This is a guy that's a part of the church up there and, and he's been preaching this gospel. He's been preaching this gospel to the Gentiles. He's been hanging out with the Gentiles and he even gets caught up in his hypocrisy. But when I saw, Paul says, when I saw that they were all not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter before them all. Now this takes boldness. He says, 
If you, Peter, being a Jew, live in the manner of Gentiles and not as the Jews, why do you compel the Gentiles to live as the Jews? We who are Jews by nature, Paul was a Jew, just like Peter was. And here he is fighting for the Gentiles. He says, we who are Jews by nature, Paul, Peter, and not sinners of the Gentiles, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but if by faith in Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Christ Jesus, that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law, no flesh shall be justified. But if while we seek to be justified by Christ, we ourselves are also found sinners, is Christ therefore a minister of sin? Absolutely not, he says. No! Now he's saying this out loud in front of everybody. You could have heard a pen drop, I'm sure, in that church. Or at that meal. (laughs) Because Peter, if I build again those things which I destroyed, I make myself a transgressor also. In other words, I'm calling you a transgressor, Pete. For I through the law, I died to the law that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me and the life which I now live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and he gave himself for me. I don't set aside the grace of God for if righteousness comes through the law, then guess what? Christ died in vain. That hit. That struck a chord. That struck a chord. And it's an unfortunate chapter break right there because Paul is just going. He's on a roll. And he directs his attention off of Peter. And he begins to talk to the whole of the church. He goes, oh, you foolish Galatians. Who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified? This I only want to learn from you. Did you receive the spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Are you so foolish having begun in the Spirit? Are you now going to be made perfect by the flesh? Have you suffered so many things in vain? If indeed it was in vain. And then he goes on. I'm not going to read the whole rest of the letter. You get in the jest though, right? We've got a pretty good grasp on why Paul wrote this letter to the Galatians. We understand the confusion that was going on. We understand that the popular opinion that they had always grown up with, all the Jews had grown up with, Paul was coming against. It was a hard-fought battle that he had to do, that he had to deal with. But Paul is bringing himself, and he's saying, these Judaizers that are coming into Galatia, I'm telling you, this is what happened even in my own church. The church that I was a pastor of. In that the assistant pastor, or maybe he was the, actually Barnabas probably was the pastor. He's the one who brought Paul over from Antioch, Syria. Or from Tarsus. And brought him over to Antioch, Syria. To this church. This is, this, actually this church that Paul's talking about where Peter came and visited. This is the very first church that the believers of Jesus Christ were called Christians. Do you know that? Has this got a a has this got a a a a, a noteworthy event that has happened there? Yeah, I think so. The very first church ever called Christians was this church that Peter was confronted in by Paul. But Paul is bringing back he's saying this is my testimony. My testimony is this. You know who I am. You know where I came from. And I'm going to tell you right now that to be circumcised, to live according to the law, is going to get you absolutely nowhere. The only thing that is going to get you into heaven is your relationship with Jesus Christ. The only thing that's going to get you into heaven is the blood that was sacrificed on your behalf through the person of Jesus Christ. He rose again from the dead. The good news is this. The law doesn't save you. Jesus does. The law does not keep you. Jesus does. 
The law does not seal you. The Holy Spirit does. It's a work of God that happens in your life, not a work of your own flesh. He deals with that to the next group of churches. They're in Ephesus. Where he says, for by grace you have been saved, not a result of works, lest anyone would boast. You've been saved by grace. And by the way, he says, you've been saved by grace, and that not even of yourselves. You and I are saved, not because of us. We're saved because of Jesus. There's nothing that we bring to the table other than our acknowledgement that this is what God has done for us that gives us the ability to be saved. It's through Jesus Christ and him only. Jesus Christ, him crucified. It's the reason that Paul had one string on his guitar and he strummed that sucker until that string couldn't strum anymore. He says it. When I came to you, I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. It's the, it's the only string of the gospel. It's not the law. And you can knock me down, you can, you can tear me up, but you know what? If you try to add anything to Jesus Christ, then Jesus died in vain. You're walking, you're walking on the blood of Jesus. You're kicking dirt on the blood of Jesus. You don't even understand why Jesus died on a cross, if that's you, is what Paul is saying. And he confronts Peter and even his assistant in Barnabas. So he says to the churches in Galatia, he goes, this isn't just localized here. It happened in my own town. And it had to be rooted out. And I'm going to root it out here too. I'm going to root this out. And I'm going to tell you right now that if we, or even for goodness sakes, if there's an angel called Moroni that comes to you and preaches to you any other gospel, let that person be accursed. And yet there's a huge church that follows after Moroni. Because he came. He was an angel of light. He was beautiful. Wait a minute. Can't, can't Satan transform himself into an angel of light? Jesus says he can't. Here's the thing. Paul says, even if something beautiful, and it kind of gives a clue. I know kind of going back a few weeks of talking about the end times. There's coming a day. Paul talks about it in, in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. I believe it's in chapter 2. Where he says, listen. He says, uh, That the coming of the lawless one, Second uh, Corinthians or Second Thessalonians, chapter two, beginning in verse nine. You don't have to look it up because this is kind of a little bit of a rabbit trail, but not much. He says the coming of the lawless one, which is the the antichrist, is according to the working of Satan, with all power, with all signs, and with all lying wonders, and with all unrighteous deception among those who perish, because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. I, I, I want you to hear and understand what, what Paul is saying here. There came a time before the rapture of the church. It's the time that we're living in right now that you and I have the opportunity to receive the love of the truth. We have an opportunity. And I would venture to say that most, if not all of us in here, have received the love of the truth. But there are others that don't receive the love of the truth. I was talking to uh, um, uh, the guys in it, the men's study this last week that I have a friend of mine that went to Bible college with me and, and uh, actually was a pastor. He had another pastor friend. They actually pastored overseas and what have you. But now they're, they're, they're no longer uh, pastors. They drink on the air and, and have a blog that they call themselves drunk ex-pastors. And they, they talk about, you know, just whatever is on their mind. And oftentimes it's very debaucherous things. They just, I don't know that they were ever saved. 
I, I really don't. I, I don't even know the one guy. I don't know one of them. I know very well the one that was my friend. I never knew whether or not he was saved or not. I don't know. There was always something that was a little bit of a red flag to that to me about that guy. I loved the guy. He was fun. He was a crack up. He's a nice guy. We got along really, really well. But he just turned his back on the Lord. And they were mocking a paper that he wrote. And one of these things that I just listened to the other day, I haven't really listened much to him, but they were mocking a paper that, that my friend had written back in Bible college about the end times. And he goes, you know what? We, and he's talking to his buddy, he's saying, you know what we have that are going for us? You know what? If the Christians are right, if, if all of a sudden there's going to be a rapture of the church, we've got it. I mean, right now, I mean, this paper I wrote, this is clue enough for us that if the rapture happens and we're here, we'll know it and we'll change. We will have an opportunity to change. And see, when I look at Second Thessalonians chapter 2, I say, I don't think so. Because if... When you have the opportunity to accept the love of the truth of Jesus Christ today and you pack it in for the deceptive practices of the world, you want what the world has and not what Christ has given to you. Are you really so naive as to think that when the Bible says this one that's coming on the scene is going to do a lot of signs and wonders? He is going to do so, he's going to have so much power. He's going to do so many signs and lying wonders. And he's going to do it with all unrighteous deception among those who perish. Because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. And so as these guys are saying, oh, we'll see it and we'll change. Well, here, verse 11 says, and for this reason, because they didn't receive the love of the truth, for this reason God will send them strong delusion, that they should believe the lie, that they all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. That's my friend. I don't think he's saved. And I think that this is speaking of him. I think that he thinks, hey, if the rapture happens, I've got seven years to change, is what he said. I don't think so. I think if you're so deceived that you're going to pack in Christ today, you definitely aren't going to accept him then because you are so caught up in the world today, you're going to be caught up in what this unrighteous, deceptive antichrist is going to come on the scene and do. And so if you're one of those that think, hey, here's what it is. If this rapture happens, I'll, I'll get saved. I'll listen to what the Christians have to say. Yeah, I don't, I don't think you're going to do it then. In fact, I think that you've spelled your doom at that time. My dogmatic on that? I'd prefer not to answer that right now. I don't know how dogmatic I am on that. But I would say that that is something that you should be very concerned about. Here's the thing. Paul, i got to end, but here, here Paul, I know I'd, I've read a lot to introduce again to talk about this passage. I want to talk about some of the personal things that we're going to see next week in Galatians chapter 1, but this is making sense. Why Paul is writing this letter. And, and, and if you're sitting here going, what does this have to do with me today? Oh, everything. We've got so much deception in the world today. We've got so much within the church today that would make you want to believe that it's holy and right before the Lord, when in all actuality it's not holy and right before the Lord, it's just what the accepted practice of the church is. You've heard me say before, one of my best friends in the whole wide world, his name is Bob Davis. He's a pastor of North Country Chapel in Post Falls, Idaho. And Bob used to pastor a church, Calvary Chapel, Sierra, Sierra Vista in Arizona, Sierra Vista in Arizona. And he had this old, old, old fire and brimstone type teacher that came in and he invited him in one time to preach. And this guy came in, he goes, he was so old that he was just barely hanging on the pulpit, you know. Hardly could stand up. And as he was sitting in there, he was giving a message and, and, and he said, this guy was, I can't remember the guy's name right off the top of my head, but he, he was, you know, preaching strong. And all of a sudden he collapsed in the middle of his message. And Bob's going, no, not in my church. 
Don't let this man's legacy end here in my church. They call the ambulance. They pack him into the ambulance. Bob ends up driving to the hospital with him. And as this guy is driving along with Bob, Bob is sitting there and he says, Bob, come here. Bob says, okay. He said, I want to tell you some things. He goes, okay. He says, Bob, if the world goes to the right, go to the left. Bob goes, okay, world right, me left, got it, got it. You just have to know Bob. He's quite humorous in the way he looks at things. He says, Bob. He goes, yeah, you got more? He says, yeah. If the church goes to the left, you go to the right. Well, that became a little bit more confusing to him. He goes, you're asking me to go opposite from the church? He goes, the church is filled with impurities. Be careful of the church. Be careful of the church. Be careful of the church. You know what the, the, a good church is? One that doesn't try to explain away the word of God. Oh, it meant that for back in that time, but it doesn't mean that for us today. Do yourself a, flav- a flavor. Do yourself a, what's on my mind right now, huh? Do yourself a favor. Flee. Flee that church. Go. Do yourself a favor. Get away from somebody who tries to explain away the scripture. That's what Paul's trying to do. Paul had such a passion for the purity within the church because he understood that he lived so righteously according to the Pharisees and yet it wasn't good enough to God. That God loved him so much that he knocked him off the horse on the way to Damascus to go and kill Christians. God loved him so much that he knocked him off his horse and spoke to him and changed his life and said, no, it's not in that that you're going to find salvation. It's not in living a perfect life. It's not, in, it's not in keeping the law. It's not in going out and killing Christians everywhere you can find. It's, that's not it, Paul. It's found in Jesus. It's found in me. Jesus Christ and Him crucified. That's it. Paul had this passion from that day forward not to see impurity infiltrate the church because it just takes just a little bit of time before that little bit of impurity goes a long ways. You take a pure church... You take a clear glass of water. Just yesterday, our, our, our uh, refrigerator, we had a new refrigerator a while back when we moved into our house and, and had to replace the water filter on the, the, filter, on the refrigerator. It's the first time I've had to do it. Took a long time to figure out which one it was. Got it, put it in. Put the, you know, the, the water under there and ran through you know, how many ever times they say you're supposed to do and then, and then put it under there and had a clean, pure glass of water and I tasted it and ooh, that tastes good. If I were to go outside and grab a little bit of dog poo and stick it in that glass of water, just a little bit, how good is that water going to taste? Sorry for that visual. It's the first thing that came to my head. Welcome to my brain. Would you drink it? Would you drink it? I, I wouldn't. I mean, I guess if I was dying of thirst and I was you know, in the middle of the Sahara Desert and I hadn't drank for a long time, then yeah, I probably would do it. But I'd probably even still think about it. A little bit of impurity goes a long ways. And Paul says, no, I don't want any, I don't want any of that in the pure word, not in the pure church. Hence the book of Galatians. It's for that reason, Paul loved that church. Paul loved every church. He had a passion. He understood what God saved him from and what God saved him to. And my heart is is that as we study through the book of Galatians that we also can come to appreciate as Paul did what you have been saved from and what you have been saved to. 
so that it would radically transform the way we see life, the way we approach the word, the way we approach a church, the way we wake up in the morning and live our day. Because if we understand it, watch out world, we're going to live the life that Christ has called for us to live. Root out the impurities, man. Oh, but I don't want to be a fuddy-duddy. You going to say that in heaven? I don't think so. I'd rather be a fuddy-duddy here on the earth. I'd, I'd rather be rejected by the world than to, be, than, than to have to answer to the Lord, well, you know, the rest of the church was doing it. Listen, if the church goes left, you go right. The reason, if there's impurity, walk away. Walk away. That makes sense? That's what Paul's trying to get through. I don't know that I've ever introduced a book in two different weeks before I've really dug into the verse by verse, but I want to have us have a firm grip because as we now work our way through the book of Galatians, it's going to make a lot of sense to you and you're going to be able to focus on the heartbeat why Paul wrote this letter, but now you're going to be freed up a little bit more to see how can this apply to me now? How does this affect my life? How can God work in my life through this now? And that's my hope and that's my prayer as we work our way through. Father, thank you so much for today. Bless you, Lord. God, thank you for touching men's lives like Paul that are not satisfied with the good enough. Ah, that's good enough. No, Paul was not satisfied with that. When it has to do with you, Lord, good enough is never good enough. It's purity. Not watering you down, not compromising who you are, but also revealing the great benefits that we have because we have a relationship with you. And what is afforded to anyone who would call upon your name? The great benefit, the great freedom, the great liberty, the great security that we will share as we understand who you are, O oh Lord. I pray, God, that some of this that, God, you touch Paul with, Lord, that it infiltrates our life, that it seeps into us and it becomes a part of our own spiritual DNA. That we can live with conviction in this world. To touch the world around us for you and for your purposes. Not our own. Not that we would be seen, but that you would be seen. Disregarding those who we may consider to be or others might consider to be something real big in the church. Oh, it doesn't matter about that. It's about you. This church is not mine and it's not anyone else's. It's yours. We have no right to approve something or to disprove, uh, to, to reject something that is not proper, that is not of your word. I don't have the right. It's your church. Help us to live for you. Help us to be pleasing in your sight, Lord. Bless our tiny church, Lord. You hold us up. You uphold us, Lord. I, I am a blessed man. We are a blessed people. Thank you, God, for Calvary Chapel Christian Fellowship. God, you do so much for us. And I am so grateful for my brothers and my sisters in this room, those who aren't here right now. I'm so grateful that you have let me be a part of these that it's evident they'd be gone long ago if they didn't want what it is that we've been talking about here today. We want to please you, Lord. We don't want to live a life of hypocrisy or compromise. We want to live for you. We want to be pleasing in your eyes. Help us, Lord, to do just that. Through the power of your Holy Spirit, we can't do it in, the, in and of ourselves. We can't do it. We acknowledge that. Anytime we touch anything, we blow it. 
But Lord, by your strength and your equipping us, we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. And that's our hope, and that's our goal, and that's our, our desire. Do that in our lives, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, thanks for listening. So, did Jesus cause a change in you today? Or do you need prayer? We'd love to hear from you. Please contact us by visiting our website at calvarychapelcf.com or call our office at 941-926-3717. That's 941-926-3717. Again, thanks for listening to In the Word.